Amen. I invite you to have a seat, church family. We were reminded last week and when weeks before that, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Should I just go without a mic? Are we good? We're good? Okay. And so it, it could be a little odd to sound, to hear ourselves singing, Holy Spirit, rain down. But if you think about what the rain does, the rain refreshes. And the rain brings growth. And the rain softens. And the rain turns into water that we drink, which gives life. And so when we're praying, Holy Spirit, rain down, we're praying for the Spirit of God to do all of those things and more in our hearts, in our lives, in our community. So here we are, we're nearing the end of a short sermon series on cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about dynamics that are involved in working with God if the Bible says that we're either in light or we're in darkness. We're either in uh, rebellion against God in his ways. We're stuck in sin. We're proud. We're going our own sinful, self-led way. Or we've turned toward God. We've seen the light. We've come into the light of his son, Jesus. And Jesus has come into us and is made and is making us a new creature and a new creation. He's changing our hearts. And he doesn't just come in to change our hearts. He comes in to work through us. And so we've been asking, well, how is it that the Spirit of God who lives in us, fills us, also guides us, and we work with him? And we said as we look at Scripture, there are dynamics that are really common to working with God. Love is the foundation. All ministry comes out of love. Spirit of God pours his love into our hearts, and his love moves us moves us to pray that we, as soon as we start engaging with God, God moves us to to minister to people. We begin to become aware of our needs. I can't meet your needs. I can't change your heart. I can't heal your pain. I can't lead you to repentance, but God can. And so engaging and working with the Holy Spirit requires that we be and become people of what we, we called intercessory prayer. That we're just continually inviting, asking, inviting God to work. And that as we do that, God's faithful. He works. And so we are then required to work with him because God's decided he's going to work on earth through us primarily. And so we're looking for these places where God's calling us to take steps of faith clothed with obedience, which necessitates that we're hearing from him. We're knowing what step he's calling us to take. And so we're receiving guidance. And then last week we talked about if if we're going to be talking about God giving guidance and us taking steps of faith, we better know that it's God. And so uh, one of the dynamics of cooperating with the Holy Spirit is discernment that makes listening to and obeying God safe. So this week we're going to talk about welcoming the gifts and the manifestations of God's Spirit. And I'm going to turn us back to that same passage we've been looking at, John 11, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And then I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. 
So first from John 11. It's on page 1668. Thank you, Vic. Again, just going to read the beginning and the end of the story. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And now flipping ahead to the end of the story, uh, beginning at verse 38, Jesus has gone to Judea. He's engaged with Lazarus, who's now dead, with his sisters. They've wept and mourned before Jesus. And Jesus has said, take me to where he lays in the tomb. And then it says, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Flipping to 1 Corinthians 12, I'm very grateful for the Corinthian church and all the struggles they had because if they didn't have their struggles, we might not get the opportunity to hear Paul's teaching and learn about what the book of Acts just portrays as normal Christian life and that's cooperating with the Holy Spirit. But the Corinthians were elevating some gifts over others. They were they were acting in immaturity. They were comparing themselves. And so Paul's got an extended section on spiritual gifts that begins like this. And I'm going to... Um, obviously not read the whole three chapters. I'm just going to read some selected verses. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant or other translations say unaware. And then at verse four, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. 
to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues or languages. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And then chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. The end of that chapter, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. God's word. Christmas of 1989 is one that I remember well. I was 12 years old. It's Peter's age right now. And, um, you know, kids, we always look forward to Christmas. And um, we might like to give gifts, but we certainly like to get them. And there's this budding, building excitement of what is under the tree that's wrapped up for me. And... Sometimes we can conjure up in our imaginations that it's the exact thing that we desire, whether we've shared with anyone who's giving us a gift or not, what that thing is that we desire. And this Christmas was one of those, I expected something, and for the life of me, I can't remember what I expected. All I can remember is what I got that wasn't what I expected. That Christmas, I got a dartboard. Now, the end of the story is... I love playing darts, and I, I became later on very grateful that I got that dartboard. But when I opened that dartboard, I was devastated. So sad. And I knew better than to show my parents that I was sad, so I went and sulked somewhere else. But Dad, he knew me well, and he figured out, he saw something, and he came downstairs. And I can still remember kind of ashamedly whimpering, I really didn't want a dartboard. I really wanted like what Peter got. That's my brother. And um, it wasn't until years later that I, I reflected and I thought, what was it like for dad and mom to put the time and the effort and the thought into giving me something that they thought I would really like and then to meet this response of, I don't want it. It's not welcome. It's, it makes me sad. And friends, this is unfortunately what we often do to God with the gifts that he desires to give. And actually it's quite horribly so. Um, the very thing that's happening happens in the John passage this morning, right after what we read. I'm going to flip back there and read to you briefly what happens next. Here's the good news. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then both the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then verse 57. The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And then, not just arrest Jesus, but we read on chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, and it says, So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So God has this beautiful gift. God's gift is to give life back to Lazarus, to give Lazarus back to Mary and Martha, to give Lazarus back to the community, through the gift of Lazarus, to give hope to hundreds, thousands, millions, down through church history, that death is not the end, but it's been overcome and it will be overcome. And that's this is a foreshadowing of his own resurrection. God has this beautiful gift that he gives. And what's the response of a good chunk of people that are in spiritual leadership? We don't want that. We don't accept that. We reject that good gift. We don't have any place for you resurrecting people in our theology. That doesn't fit here, Jesus. You're not welcome. We're threatened by you. And we're going to respond to you by killing you, controlling you, and killing the evidence of the work of your spirit. Ooh. Not pretty. Not pretty. Paul says when he writes his letter, to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And he goes on to talk about gifts of the Spirit. When Paul talks about these gifts of the Spirit, he's not talking about our the ordinary human gifts that God has endowed us with when he created us in his image. God's given plenty of gifts to each one of us. We each reflect him in unique ways. But this list in 1 Corinthians 12 that Paul talks about is these manifestations or these ways that God makes present and clear. You know what manifest means? It means to make something, to show it. To make it really clear. So to... to, So when Paul says the manifestation of the Spirit, another way you could say that is, this is the way that Jesus is showing his presence to the church. The Spirit is of Jesus and of the Father. This is the way that God is showing himself to be with his people, the one who comforts, the one who loves, the one who saves, the one who heals, the one who delivers, the one who convicts. This is the way God's showing it through ordinary human beings. Because God's Spirit 
We don't see him, but we can see the effects of his presence among us. He's manifesting or he's making present his work. Okay? And these gifts are not natural human abilities, but they're God's power or God's abilities flowing through us to bring God's result. God's power or God's abilities flowing through us to bring God's results. So here's Jesus, I'm coming back to Lazarus. Here's Jesus moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he speaks that word, Lazarus, come out, God's power works through him to raise Lazarus. And there are then those who say, no, thank you. We don't want to see God's power working through you or anyone else like that in that way. Why are they doing that? Well, what if their lives and their sense of identity are built around religious routine more than loving God? What if the chief end of their life is not to love God? They don't find their identity in receiving and giving the love of God, but they find their identity, their sense of value and of worth and of who they are in the way that they live out religious routine. Then power breaking in upon them threatens them. God breaking in upon them threatens them because he threatens what they hold dear. God's working in a way that they don't count on, that they can't anticipate, that they can't control. And I think that word control is a key word here. You know, John Calvin says that the human heart uh, is an idol-producing factory. That the human heart does not stop producing things that it clings to for value and worth and identity. And that among the chief of those is control. This need to be in control of our lives. And so if we're going to genuinely welcome God's spirit to move among us or to work through us as he desires... We'll need to have a biblical attitude toward the gifts and the manifestations of their Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, first, uh, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, uh, God apportions to each of us gifts or manifestations of his Spirit as he wills. So as he chooses. And um, our response to that is often to say, okay, it's great, it's as God chooses. But the choosing part, the meaning that God decides to choose, indicates that he's sovereign. That he's the one who is making the choice of how he's going to reveal himself. Well, his sovereignty calls for response on our part. His sovereignty calls for yieldedness and for welcome and for... Um, uh, an attitude that will 
that will be hungry and thirsty and open to the gifts and the manifestations of his spirit. And so let's let's look at the the verses that I read from 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 because I think they give us four keys or four attitudes that we've got to nurture if we as individuals or we as a congregation want to be welcoming the gifts and the manifestations of God's spirit. First one is love. So in the middle of Paul's uh, discussion of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12 and his teaching on prophecy and the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, he has this extended period in which he writes about love. And he says, uh, without love, we've got nothing. Right? In, he says, in the end, prophecy disappears, tongues disappear, but love remains. Faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. So, what does Paul want us to hear and remember? That the context for the work of God's gifts, the reason that he gives these gifts, is love. That God wants to give gifts to us, give gifts through us. He wants to manifest his presence because he loves. Well, that sounds really basic, Pastor Dave. That doesn't sound new. What does that mean for us? I think it means this. Two things. One, that if I'm going to say that I'm genuinely a person who's open to the gifts and the manifestations of God's spirit, that I'm going to be a person that's growing in love. I'm going to be growing in love. Because the gifts or the manifestations are never an end in and of themselves. They're not the point. The point is God loving people and these are the way through which or by which he loves people. And so if I want to be welcoming the gifts, I'm going to be growing. I can, I can posture myself to welcome the gifts by growing in love. I can say, God, in, increase my ability to love people like you love people. Because as I grow in love, I grow in need and I grow in desire to see other people touched and I grow in a willingness to put myself in situations that I wouldn't otherwise be in. I grow in willingness to go prayer walking. I grow in willingness to pray for people that where it's uncomfortable. I grow in willingness to spend more time in my prayer closet praying for people. I grow in willingness to go build relationships with people that are different than me. I grow in willingness to all because I'm growing in love. If we go chasing gifts just because they look good, we'll end up in trouble. But if we say, God, help me to love like you love, we will find ourselves going, God, I need gifts. God, I'm hungry for gifts. I'm hungry to see your presence manifested. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Love provides an environment of grace 
to grow in gifts and in learning. So nobody's born as a Christian knowing what it looks like to receive a word of knowledge from God. Nobody is born as a Christian knowing how to prophesy. Nobody's born as a Christian praying in tongues. Well, some of them were, but most of them aren't. (laughs) Nobody's born as a Christian knowing how to go and pray for the sick and see them healed, know how knowing how to how to how miracles are worked through their hand through their hands. We we all have to grow up into seeing God manifest his presence through us by giving gifts. And that requires an environment of grace. So the love of God provides grace space inside of which we can say, I don't really know about these things. Could somebody teach me? In which we can say, I think God might be speaking to me, but I'm really not sure and I'm kind of scared. Could I share that with you and discern it? I'd really like to go pray for so-and-so. I feel prompted, but I don't know how it's going to go and I'm not sure if I could do it right. Could you come with me? Could we try it? I, 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 and the love of God that's so strong for us as his children provides grace space within which to begin to practice letting God manifest his presence through us by giving gifts. I can't stress that strongly enough. So the first key to having an informed biblical attitude that welcomes the gifts and the manifestations of the spirit is just to grow in love and to nurture love in our own hearts and in our own lives. The second key is to have an informed attitude. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12.1, Now, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware. Now listen, being aware doesn't mean that we know there's a list in 1 Corinthians 12. That's not aware. Being aware doesn't mean that we can list the nine things that 1 Corinthians 12 says. That's not aware any more than being in the cockpit of a plane and saying, I'm aware that there's a whole bunch of buttons here that you can use to fly a plane means that you're a pilot. You'd not get in a plane with me if I could get in that cockpit and tell you all about the, tell you that there were buttons there, but I couldn't do something with the buttons. When Paul says, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. He's saying, I want you to grow in practical experience and knowledge of these gifts. I want you to move into a a place where you can not only describe these gifts, you can, you can grow to appreciate their value. You can understand and see how the Spirit works through each one and you can begin to know how it is that God tends to work through you. And I say tends because we don't want to put limits on God. He can work through each one of us in any way He wills, right? He, He when Paul says he gives each gift as he determines, it doesn't mean you get one of these forever, these manifestational gifts. It means in the moment, God can give a prophetic word to Victoria. In the moment, God can give a message in tongues to Vic. In the moment, Jake can go and lay hands on someone to be healed. That's what it means, as he wills. And so we grow in a, a familiarity of, God, how do you tend to work with me? How do I tend to hear from you? How do these gifts tend to work? That's informed. Third key, we grow in um, an attitude of inclusivity, meaning that we don't simply uh, 
focus on some of the gifts, like the ones that we're more comfortable with, but we welcome all of the gifts as God's good gifts. So, like I said, I didn't really want a dartboard. We don't say, God, I don't want this gift, or I don't want that gift. We say, God, as your child and as your servant, I welcome with joy every gift that you want to give to me, to us as a body. Um, what does welcome look like? Friends, you've all had the experience of going to somebody's house and they answer the door and they go, oh, come on in. And you know from the moment they say, come on in, you don't really want me to show up. But they take you in and so it's really awkward and you're in their house and they're hosting you, but you can feel the entire time, I'm not wanted. And it's entirely different from that point where you knock on a door and somebody says, Mark, it's so good to see you. And you, you're welcomed in. And from the moment you, you get in the door to the moment you leave, that person lets you know you are so valuable. I'm glad you're here. I welcome you. God sees our hearts and he knows our heart attitudes. And he's calling us to have heart attitudes that say, God, I welcome all of your good gifts. All of them. Fourth, last key to welcoming the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit is hunger. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. That word eagerly desire is also translated zealously lust after in a good sense. It has built into it this sense of deep, almost insatiable hunger. But I want us to hear again, notice it, it ties back into love, follow the way of love and love drives you hunger for the gifts what does hunger look like? What does it not look like? Ann and I had a couple of, I still have a couple of friends who were visiting a church in another country, not where they lived most of the time. And um, on the particular morning I'm going to describe, he woke up with searing pain from uh, his temple down his jaw. And uh, it was so bad that he felt like, I'm not going to go to worship this morning, but decided at the last minute that he would go. And he showed up to worship, and the worship leader began the worship service by saying, as a few of us were praying before the service, one of us uh, got a word of knowledge. There's somebody here this morning who has really bad pain from their temple down to their jaw. The Lord would like to heal you. Now this, uh, so so he went forward and he received prayer and he was healed. Now you would think that this guy would be blown away by God works like that? God speaks? How How did they tell that? How, how did somebody else know what my problem was? Boy, I would like to learn about that. Took the good gift And has shown to our 
from our perspective, to our knowledge, from our conversations, no desire, no hunger, no longing to know, to grow. When we sit in worship every Sunday and we hear God, uh, we hear testimonies of how God's working in other people, through other people, those should build within us not just encouragement, but hunger. And I want to say something about that to clarify. When God gives gifts, he never intends us to compare with each other, and he does not want his children suffering or experiencing guilt. So it, this is not the case that we look at somebody else and we go, uh, I want that, and we ask for that, and if we don't receive it, we start beating ourselves up. We're uniquely created in the image of God. God works with us uniquely. And yet, in order for him to work with us and for us to grow in him, there needs to be hunger. Okay? God values hunger deeply. This is why he says of King David, the man who committed adultery and murder, among other things, he's a man after my own heart. Why? Because he was a worshiper who was passionate for God unabandoned passion. God loves passion. So much so that he doesn't mind if things are a little bit messy from time to time. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, everything should be done decently and in good order, fitting in a good orderly way, Paul doesn't intend by that what we often translate that as. No messes, no uncleanliness, no anything that makes us uncomfortable in any way at all. Church needs to be... uh, What's the word? Sanitized. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Sanitized. That's not what Paul means. He means that as God leads us and as God manifests his presence among us, that there's order. There's someone who's leading, who's yielded to God, who's giving leadership and helping to shape what happens and to work with God. That it's not chaos. It's not a free-for-all. It's not, in Corinthians' case, some people from one side of the congregation talking to people on the other side, those people talking back and conversations happening while somebody's trying to preach. There can be some unsanitizedness to it. We need hunger to grow to work with God. So, Prophet Elisha goes to a king in the Old Testament and he gives him a message and he says, strike the ground and you'll defeat your enemies. And the king strikes the ground one, two, three times and Elisha says, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have defeated your enemies entirely. Now you're only going to defeat them halfway. You lacked passion. You lacked hunger. You lacked faith. What did he lack? Elisha doesn't say it fully. Yeah. There was something in him that wasn't willing to give himself fully in hunger to the Lord. Sometimes it's hard for us to give ourselves in hunger because of the way that we've We've been hurt and we don't believe that God has good gifts for us. And so sometimes there's a lot that we need to get by past in terms of heart attitudes that block us or that stand in the way of 
feeling like I'm as special as the next person. God would want to work with me the way he does with someone else or as much as. And if that's the case, if you know that you're struggling with a heart attitude like that, that's what prayer ministry is for. Don't let lies um, keep you from hungering and thirsting after God making real and present his love and his good gifts in and through your life. That that you would be the one that would pray for people and that they would be healed. Or you'd be the one who'd be sharing the gospel and people would come to faith. Or you'd be the one that would be bringing messages from God. God has something for every one of us. And so, the the just tying it up here, these dynamics of cooperating with His Spirit, they they don't come to fullness or to fruition unless we get to this point where we are not only taking steps of faith, but we are open, hungering, and welcoming God to manifest His presence and to give gifts that will ch- that will change hearts, lives, and situations like we saw in that video this morning. And uh, I'll just end on this. That that uh, story, powerful as it was, did not go unobstructed. So that morning, because we ministered in that way, praying for people for half an hour, I didn't have time to preach. It was one of two, maybe three times in nine and a half years on a Sunday morning that I've not preached a sermon. But I had someone come and strongly say to me, um, you, you did not preach a sermon and you should not have done that because you missed preaching God's word. Now, listen, you all know that I love and value God's word and um, would love to preach it all the time. But what God was doing in that moment was giving a visible demonstration of his word. Okay? And... We have got to be able and willing to flex and to bend and to adapt to what God is doing in any given moment, not be rigid or stuck or um, in control. Okay, And as we do that, uh, we will see beautiful, beautiful things. We'll see not only what we've seen and experienced over the last few years, but much, much more. I believe that we'll see and experience what I heard from George Workema this past Friday over at Matthew's house. I spent a few minutes talking with him and he told me a story. He said, we're, we're leading in a class right now for new, new uh, people new to the faith. And in the same class, we have a former prostitute and her pimp. They've both come to faith in Jesus Christ and they're going to get married yeah. Now, that would be, that we praise the Lord for that. Some people would say that's scandalous. Some people would have a hard time with that. But that's a manifestation of the power of God to change and transform lives. So I want to just lead us into prayer now and we'll respond to the sermon uh, by praying, Lord, give us more love and more power. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your love, you... Do not leave us without power, but that you long to work through us to touch others. And Lord, we thank you that you long to work through each one of us and through us as a congregation. 
And we say to you, I say as the pastor of this church, that we are hungry to grow in experiencing your real presence. We're hungry for the gifts of your spirit. We're hungry for you to work through us so that your name will be glorified, so that your gospel will go forth, so that your church will grow, your kingdom will grow. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.